are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Ezra reads the law. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattitiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mesiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchiah, Hashem, Hashbadanan, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Shabiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, they all instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And a round of applause. All right. (laughs) Well done. Well, it is springtime, and... Yesterday, we had mandatory kids get out of the house. We've been waiting for that. And it is fun to see twins playing baseball again. And, and here it goes. Get outside today and enjoy it again. This is the last Sunday in our opening series of the new year. We've called it 2020 Vision. And we have studied the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which are all about building. There's a vision being carried out in these books of the Bible that is about rebuilding. And we'll just recap what is going on in this story and then dive right in. We'll remember that in the story of the Bible, God's people are now being returned to their land and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. First, they rebuild the temple in Ezra. That's where we were in January. And now they rebuild the city walls and the gates in Nehemiah. As we get to this last Sunday... The building is done, but we get to focus on the even more significant matter, and that is the spiritual rebuilding of the people. And we've said for two months now, this whole time, we've said building is really a metaphor for what God is doing in the hearts of his people. 
That's why Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt in the first place, because the people had let their relationship with God fall apart. They just went on their own way. They chased after false gods, and they let the moral condition of the land fall into shambles. And so eventually, after so many warnings through the prophets, God takes the land from them, and He lets the Babylonians come in. They destroy Jerusalem, and they haul off the Israelites to captivity. This is the big story of the Old Testament. But God still does not forget or give up on His people. And one day he would return them to their land and rebuild them. And 70 years later, he does. The Babylonians are defeated by the Persians, and King Cyrus of Persia allows the Israelites to go home. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah that we've studied together have been all about this significant rebuilding time in the life of God's people. And we have seen and we know personally, it's not always easy to rebuild something. There are delays and distractions and mishaps and hiccups. But now at this point of the story, the temple is finally standing again. The walls and gates of the city as well. And God is at work in the hearts of his people. And we trust that he is at work in our hearts here today as we come under his word. Today's passage in Nehemiah 8 marks this momentous occasion. And it strikes me as kind of a summary lesson of how God rebuilds his people. Not just then, but now. We could say, so what are the tools that God uses to rebuild people? What are the building materials that he uses? What are the patterns and practices of spiritually healthy people? Of people who are being built up by the Holy Spirit. And in this text today, I see four things commended to us. Four ingredients that we want to follow. When I make Swedish roll-ups at our house, it's a breakfast favorite, and it's one I can pretty easily remember because it only has four main ingredients. And they are eggs, lots of eggs, milk, flour, and sugar. And you know, everything tastes a little better with a splash of vanilla, so I might go off script and throw that in. But there's a few main ingredients, four of them, and that's what we have here today. Four things to put into practice as God is building us and building you into the person that he has called you to be. And so with that, we'll get into the story a little bit. Nehemiah 8.1 begins in this translation, the one we have in front of us, actually with the last half of the verse from chapter 7. You maybe have seen that. So let me start it in Nehemiah 7.73 where the sentence begins, and we can follow on the screen as well or in the Bible in front of you. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The seventh month in the Hebrew calendar was called Tishri, and it was one of, if not the most important months of the whole year. For us, in our calendar, it would fall around September or October, but for them, it was the beginning of the new year. That was New Year season. And so it included also the annual Day of Atonement and the Festival of Booths. That's where everyone crowded into their favorite booth at Perkins and feasted, right? My kids would call that a dad joke, I'm sorry. The Festival of Booths. So they've got these big holidays going on on their calendar. And all the people from Jerusalem and the surrounding towns of Judah came together as one, it says. And I want you to picture with me, this would have been many 
thousands of people coming together. And they gather together outside the water gate. And similar to the dung gate, which caused some snickering last week, where they use that gate to get out to the city trash heap, why do you think the water gate's called the water gate? It's because they accessed clean water there. That's where the spring of Gihon was down in the Kidron Valley, the main water source for the city. So again, picture with me thousands of people who are gathered. They're all on the eastern slope overlooking the valley, and they came together for this. Here's the second half of verse 1. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, you and I, in English, we have a different sense about the word law, don't we? But when you run into that in the Old Testament, you can think of it as the Bible. That's what they were talking about. The first five books of our Bible is what they called the law, compiled by Moses. And with that, we've come to the first of the four ingredients that I wanted to share with you. First of the four building materials, and it is the Word. The Word of God, also known as the Law, the Scriptures, or the Bible. This book that God wrote using human authors in their various personalities and writing styles so that we could know Him and His purposes for us. That's why this book was written. Now, there are some more general ways that He does show Himself to us. For instance, you can see something of the Lord's majesty and His creative power when you see a beautiful snow-peaked mountain or a sunset. But as stunning as that is, it doesn't tell you about right and wrong or how God has moved in redemptive history or the plan of salvation in Christ. The written Word of God has an essential role in revealing who God is and how we are to live, which is why the people gathered to hear it. So let's keep reading in verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Now what a beautiful picture of the church that is, isn't it? The assembly. Not just a highfalutin group of pastors and religious leaders, but this is ordinary men and women and everyone who could understand. That means kids. And that's reiterated in the very next verse. In verse 3, it says, He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. And here I just want to interject quick. If we're ever nervous that the service is going five minutes too long, Nehemiah 8.3, you just remember a six-hour worship service and it'll all be good. So just that side note. But it says in verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of, and here's what's reiterated, the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. It is our conviction that kids are an integral part of the church community. They can be squirrely, they can be loud but they can understand. And yes, sometimes they even listen attentively, sometimes even more than their parents. And I can see it. You never have to apologize for your kids or babies being here in worship with us. 
They are welcome. It is expected that they would be here at the tables with us. It is biblical and it is good parenting. A hugely important passage in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6. Listen to these words. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. It's like an old-fashioned post-it note. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see how all-pervasive, all-encompassing our relationship with God is supposed to be? It's not just for grown-ups. It's not just for Sunday mornings. It is for every facet and every stage of your life. From birth on, we want to be reading God's Word with our children and grandchildren. And not just reading the words, but explaining their meaning. You pick up on that in this text already, how important it is. It's emphasized the understanding of Scripture. And it comes up again in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear And giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. This is why Martin Luther, 500 years ago, used this repeating phrase in what was called the small catechism. What does this mean? And some of you just had a flashback to confirmation class, and I don't know if it was any good. But Luther's little book certainly was. And did you know he didn't write that little book for church. He wrote it for home. He wrote it for parents to be able to take home and use it to raise up their children to know the Bible and follow Christ. And so in that tiny little booklet, he would cite a portion of Scripture, and then he would always ask and answer the question, what does this mean? This is exactly what Ezra and the Levites are doing here in the story. Ezra is reading a portion of Scripture, and then he has this list of helpers which I'm not going to try to pronounce again, that Donna read for us in verse 7, who instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And I want you to know that we follow this model of teaching and explaining the Scriptures so that we can all grow in our understanding of God's Word. Not because of personal preference or worship style, but because Scripture itself commends this practice to us. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, and he said, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. If one day you move to a different city, let's say in retirement, you're going to go someplace warmer. When the day comes, if you're a student and you move away to a different city to go to college, And your parents, by the way, do hope that one day you will move away. (laughs) So for any of us, student, retiree, whatever age you are, if you move someplace else one day, let me share with you two firm convictions. Number one, find a new church home. Don't delay. If you move away to college, find a local church that you can be part of. If you're a snowbird somewhere, find a local church. If you're at a cabin all summer long, find a local church. 
If you take a job change and you move, find a local church. Be diligent about that. And secondly, find a church that teaches the Bible. Not every church does. And you do not want to settle for a church that will entertain you, but not feed you. Nor do you want to settle for a church of nice people, but where the Bible is simply a prop in the pew. I would tell you this, and spending time with our students and those who are preparing to go off to college, I would say, look, I don't care so much about denomination or worship style. If you move to a new city, you want to find a church that loves the Lord, loves people, and teaches the Bible, and the rest will sort itself out. This is, by the way, why we partner with Camp Shamanah. Different denomination, different worship style in some ways. I definitely know they sing longer than we do. But they love the Lord. They love people, and they teach the Bible. So I know that in two weekends, when our men are up at Camp Shamanah, we will be under the teaching of God's Word. And then we will go and defend our floor hockey title in the gym. (laughs) Number two, worship. The second way that God builds up His people is through worship. And the text makes this crystal clear, the centrality of Scripture, but that we don't worship the Scripture. We worship God, its author, the one who is revealed in its pages. Look at how the people respond to the hearing of God's word in verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. That's this wooden platform. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. In verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Three things we see here about worship. That worship is corporate, it's vocal, and worship is physical. It's corporate because we see all these people gathering together. Now, can you worship alone at home? Can you live stream a church service? Yes, you can, and that may be of some value, but never at the expense of regularly meeting with God's people to worship Him together. Secondly, worship is vocal, meaning that we use our voices. Now, I don't know what Ezra was saying, but it says here that he was praising the Lord, and I'm assuming that he was not miming it. Whatever he said... It caused this verbal response from the people, and they all said, and and maybe they shouted. I mean, it's thousands of people, so maybe it's rippling through the crowd, and they're saying, amen, amen. It's listed twice for emphasis. And amen means, so be it. Yes, let it be so. And I want to encourage you to be vocal in your worship. Your kids need to hear you sing in worship even if it's off key they need to hear you lead in prayer at home or to sing along with worship songs on the radio or to say out loud sometime just out of the blue how awesome you think God is because of such and such and third on the list worship we see is physical 
In these two short verses, we see the people rise to their feet, they lifted their hands, they bowed down, and they put their faces on the ground. Now, I know that this one is tough for many of us Minnesotans. It is, isn't it? I mean, we're a stoic people. Many of us have ancestors that came from lands with bland food. I was at a Starbucks in California once. You know, they ask your name to put it on the cup. I said, it's Bjorn. The barista looks at me for a second, scribbles my name on the cup, and then later when I get the drink, it says, Billy. (laughs) He had never heard this name before. We are a strange people up here. And you might not be very comfortable with the idea of moving around much in worship. But here's our hope, is that this is just a place where you can take a few steps, whatever that looks like for you. So be you, be sincere, don't let it distract you. But if you want to close your eyes, not during the sermon, but during the singing, you close your eyes. If you want to raise your hands in worship, then raise your hands. If you want to dance before the Lord like David did, then dance. We're in a gym for crying out loud. It's a great place. But the other thing I'd say is this. You can also do this at home. And that might be an easier place to start. Make movement a part of your worship. You could kneel beside your bed to pray. You could lift your hands and worship in the shower. You could give a shout of praise today when it's 40 degrees outside and you feel the sun on your face. Worship is not just an inward mental activity. It is active and it is how God builds up his people. Number three is repentance. The third word of how God builds up his people is repentance. Now we get to this one. It is a church-sounding word. It's not one you probably run into on your social media feed or see on TV very much. But repentance is essential to growing spiritually. Repentance is what happens when we see our sin, also not a popular word, we see the things wrong that we have said, done, thought, and we see them in the light of God's holiness. That He is perfect and righteous and full of glory, and I am not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a description of the condition that you and I are born into. This is the fallen nature of our hearts. And both then and now, we can forget our sinfulness. We can downplay God's holiness and forget our sinfulness. And kind of sweep it under the rug or think it's It's not really that big of a deal or or not even care much and just rush headlong into whatever we want to do. Repentance happens when we see that we're lost and we turn back around to God. That's what happened as the people listened to the reading of God's word. Look at verse 9 with me. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. One scholar summed it up this way. I thought this was short and sweet. 
they became aware of their sins and wept. And there is something that is so bittersweet about repentance. It's tough to hear about our sin. It's tough to come to grips with it sometimes, to acknowledge our sin, but it is the only way that we find freedom. Hearing the truth of Scripture will sting sometimes. It will. It'll be like a chisel upon the heart, but it is ultimately a declaration of God's grace, and we can't forget that. The sting of the truth of Scripture is declaring God's grace to us. And I can still hear my mom's voice when I was little, and she'd go to clean a cut or a scrape on my knee. And what would she say? She would say, this is going to sting a little, but it will help you heal. Back to Romans where it says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And that brings us finally to number four, last on the list, is joy. Remember, we've asked the question, how does God build up his people? The word, worship, repentance, and now lastly, joy. Remember what they'd said to the people. They'd said, do not mourn or weep. And then in verse 10, we read that Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you've been around church or Christian gift stores or greeting cards, then you very well maybe have run into those well-known words. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But you maybe didn't realize that it comes out of Nehemiah. And maybe we don't always realize what joy actually means. What is joy? Joy is not a conjured-up emotion or feeling. Joy is not a light-headed happiness. But joy is finding deep delight in your relationship with God. That's the biblical definition of joy. Finding delight in your relationship with God. The Israelites would have described their relationship with God in the language of covenant. That's the terms that they used. They had this sacred covenant relationship with God as His people. And so when they took delight in that relationship, and they kept the covenant by keeping God's Word, then that was their joy. You see how this pulls together? That's what made them strong. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Hebrew word there for strength is the word ma'oz. Hebrew on top, transliterated below, ma'oz. This was such a fun discovery this week. The word ma'oz means strength, of course, but did you know that it can also be translated as mountaintop, stronghold, or protection? The joy of the Lord is your mountaintop. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold. It's the same word in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you see what this means? This means the joy of the Lord is your protection. 
Rejoicing over the Lord is described as a source of protection, a source of strength and safety. At the end of this week, on the last day of February, I'll be beside a dear woman and her family as life support is removed and she steps into eternity. We have spent some sweet times together in prayer and scripture. Her earthly reality has been a disease called ALS, but her heavenly home awaits her now in glory. Are there times of real fear and sadness? Yes. But an even greater sense of joy in knowing the Lord. Is it possible to know the joy of the Lord in whatever situation that you are facing now? I want you to think of what is troubling you. What are you walking through? What weighs heavy on your heart this morning? Is it possible to know the joy of the Lord in whatever situation you are facing? Yes, it is. How does that song go? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. To find delight in a personal relationship with God is what you were made for. To find delight in Him is what will strengthen you in any situation. And you will be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.